Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Straight Out Left. We are down to the final four. The Padres, the Phillies, the Yankees, and the Astros are the only teams left. The NLCS started tonight and the ALCS starts tomorrow, so we're going to be talking all about that and previewing these two very exciting series. All right, happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to tonight's episode. This is going to be a good one as we finally have our final four for the MLB. The Padres and the Phillies are starting the NLCS tonight. They are actually, as of me recording this, they have are through five and the Phillies are up one nothing. I still think it's soon enough for me to make, it's not too late for me to make my prediction. And this prediction, I actually made it before the game started, so I just haven't aired it yet. So the Phillies winning in no way affects this whatsoever. And they're only up one nothing. Wheeler actually had no hitter going through the first four and a third innings, but Will Myers broke it up just now. So, yeah, um, no history there. But still, he's looking looked really good. Darvish has looked good as well. The only thing he gave up was a home run to Bryce Harper, of course. But, yeah, and it's just really funny to look at this and think, out of all the teams in the National League, I mean, the National League, I mean, the American League too, but the league was so top-heavy, you figured at least one out of the Mets, Dodgers, or Braves would make it, but none of them did. There was an NL East team, but it was the it would take me at least three guesses to get it. Probably three. I wouldn't guess the Marlins or Nationals to make it at the beginning of the year. But um, yeah, Phillies-Padres, what an exciting NLCS. And then the American League, it's kind of more of the same. But that's still interesting. The Astros and the Yankees are meeting for the third time in six years, and both times that they've met in the past six years, there are only two meetings in playoff. Actually, no, I take that back. There was the 15 wildcard game where the Astros won. So the Yankees have never been the Astros in a postseason series. So the Astros are hoping to continue that, and the Yankees are hoping to finally knock them off. And, man, Cleveland was so close to knocking off the Yankees, but... With the rainouts and everything, it just the series got all out of whack, and then this came out and looked flat today. And New York won pretty handily, so yeah, we've got a uh, more of the same in the American League and some new, fresh, excite, exciting young blood in the National League. Um, I guess first I'm gonna let's preview the National League because I don't want to um let the game one go on too much and let make me second guess my prediction. So, looking first at um, the underdog by two wins in this situation, the Philadelphia Phillies. They, of course, as you know, swept the Cardinals in the wild card round, which was very, very unexpected. I thought St. Louis was going to absolutely blow them out of the water. And then they not only beat the defending champion Atlanta Braves, they beat them in four games. It only took four games, and honestly, it was a pretty dominant series by the Phillies. Um. I guess game game one was sort of a nail biter, but games three and four at home those were pretty um those were pretty decisive wins. Like they won and they won big. And yeah, this team has a ton of momentum behind it. First playoff appearance in ten years. A lot of their star players like Reese Hoskins, Aaron Nola, JT Riamuto, and Gene Segura are new to the playoffs. This is their first time ever being in the playoffs. And Bryce Harper, their star player, is looking to 
win his first world title. He's never made it to the World Series, and he's hoping to finally get there. So a lot of intrigue here. Um, going back to their series real quick with Atlanta, just wanted to quickly highlight their offensive and um, pitching MVPs. I'm going to award two MVPs for the series because it's really hard to – you need both sides of the ball in order to win a postseason series. So I'm giving out two MVP awards to each team that won in the uh, divisional round. The um, offensive MVP, I think it's pretty obvious, it's Bryce Harper. In the four games, he went 8-for-16 with two homers, five RBIs. Both of those led the Phillies. 500 batting average and a 1.592 OPS. He also had three doubles, so slugging was also over 1,000. He was just absolutely ripping the cover off the ball and really being... I mean, he's always been the offensive leader and the big uh, callus for the Phillies offense, but he just took it to a whole nother level this this divisional round. And he completely just turned it up to another level. Not to say he didn't have help. I mean, Hoskins had a solid series. Ramuto had a good series. Uh, Brand Marsh had a home run. And uh, Castellanos drove in five runs. So, yeah, very um, solid performance by the Phillies' offense as a whole. But Bryce Harper definitely takes the uh, best offensive performer here. For pitching, I have to give it to Aaron Nola. Um, his start was absolutely amazing. He had he only made one start in the series. He started game uh, game three at home in front of his hometown crowd. Or not hometown, in front of his home crowd. First, uh, second playoff start in his career, his first at home. Six shout innings, six strikeouts, five hits, two walks. Classic, just vintage Aaron Nola, pitched extremely well, and he, along with the offensive outburst by the Phillies, he just completely nailed, shut down the Braves' offense and made that game three win even more decisive. I mean, winning nine to one in uh, game three in uh, NLDS is really, really huge. Um, winning, winning, taking the series lead, and then forcing their team to have to play uh, in two straight elimination games in order to win, plus doing it in front of your hometown crowd by such a large margin. That just is a huge momentum swing, and Nola definitely deserves credit for holding down the fort there. So, yeah, um, this team uh, looks very solid. They're playing very, some of the best baseball they've played all year right now, and that's honestly what matters. Maybe you could say the Phillies underperformed definitely in the first couple months of the year, year they did, but now they are – playing really well when it matters the most. And now on to, um, I don't think I'm biased here, but just this was the most fun series to watch. The other NLDS, the San Diego Padres knocking off the Los Angeles Dodgers. It looked like it was going to be more of this, just all the narratives here. It looked like it was going to be more of the same after game one. The Dodgers have always owned the Padres like since forever. It's never even the rivalry has never even been close. It's always been a Dodgers show. First time these guys were meeting in the playoffs, but uh looked like it was gonna be more of the same with a five three win in LA in game one. Then in game two, suddenly something changed. The Padres wound wound up taking a lead late and won five to three, and backed by some great starting pitching by uh by you Darvish and their um <clears throat> excuse me. And their bullpen playing really well, and their offense getting timely hits. And then another great pitching performance allowed them to squeak out a two to one win against the 
Dodgers in game three, their first home game at Petco Park in front of fans since 2006. So talk about crazy atmosphere like in Philadelphia. This was even more intense given given to just how hated, how much of a bitter rival the Dodgers are for them. And then in game four, San Diego kid Joe Musgrove was on the mound. The Dodgers got to him early and they had a pretty commanding lead in this game, uh, but overall Musgrove pitched well and kept them in the game. And it was a uh, two, nothing when he got pulled after six, but then the Padres bullpen gave up another run, their first run of the series. And it was three, nothing. And I remember watching this and I was thinking I'm ready. I should probably just head to bed. Cause I think we're gonna have to wait for a game five here, but I decided so to stay up and I'm so glad I did. Cause man, what an incredible seventh inning. I can still remember it all like from memory, just one of the best postseason innings I've ever seen. Um, so who was it that came out? Tommy Canley came out for the uh for the Dodgers to pitch. Um he didn't look good starting off. And then Profar gets a sink Profar gets a uh a walk, excuse me. And then uh Grisham got a single and then Austin Nola got a weird infield single that scored a run. And then Hassan Kim hit an RBI double, which made it three to two. Or no, wait, that yeah, three to two. And then Juan Soto hit an RBI single that tied the game. Uh, and then much, but then here's the thing: is so Dave Roberts had pulled uh, Kane Lee in favor against the Almonte, and Almonte, while giving up the first couple the hits to uh, Kim and Soto. He got Machado to strike out. And he got Brand Drury to foul out. Big foul out with a runner on third. So now there's two outs. Now this is, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. This is where Dave Roberts and his overmanaging just really, really manifested itself. I don't know why he decided to do this. Belmonte, it settled things down and the game was tied. They had lost the lead, unfortunately, but he had gotten Padres best hitter out in Machado. And then he got a huge second out by game Drury to pop out to the catcher. Yancey Monte throws a ball to Drake Cronenworth, and then suddenly Roberts comes out of the dugout and pulls him in the middle of the at-bat, not due to an injury. I don't think I've ever seen a pitcher get pulled from the middle of an at-bat without him being injured or being like uh, him getting thrown out for having a sticky, sticky stuff on him. He brings in Alex Vesey of the lefty to face Cronenworth, which makes sense, but why wouldn't you do it before the at-bat? And also... Almonte seemed like he had things under control and he was going to get them out of it and preserve the tie. He brings in Vesia. Vesia's already done 1-0, so this probably feels weird for him coming to an at-bat like that. Cronenworth works the count a little bit and drives a single uh, back up the middle to uh, give the Padres a 5-3 lead. Huge. The, pl- the place just absolutely erupts. Pickle Park's going crazy. Cronenworth's fired up as he's running down the first baseline. It was incredible to watch. And I'm just thinking the whole time, why did Roberts do that? He should not have pulled Almonte in this situation. I get the platoon advantage, but there comes a point where you just have to let the pitcher throw. I mean, it's not like that. I get, yes, some pit, some pitchers have tough times against lefties if you're right-handed and vice versa. And hitters, too, it goes the same way. But that doesn't mean that it's always good. The thing with baseball is it's not... Every outcome is guaranteed 100% of the time. You can play the probabilities, but there comes a point where sometimes the hot hand, even if it goes against the 
percentages and the analytics and the mathematical wisdom, sometimes the old school go with your gut mentality really needs to be appreciated. I love advanced stats and stat cast and saber metrics as much as the next guy, next guy, but you can't take this. You can't reduce baseball just completely numbers and probabilities. There are going to be times, especially in October, there's just this magical clutchness that comes out on the baseball field and you can't calculate that and you can't account for that with any sort of calculus or graphs or anything like that. So, I don't know what he was doing. I'm really confused. I'm also, uh, who was saying this? Was um, I forget who was announcing the game. I think it was, was it Przinsky? And uh, I think, yeah, Przinsky was color commentating, AJ Przinsky, former Twins and White Sox catcher. And he said, I don't get why Dave Roberts does the five innings and you're done thing for a starter. Because, yeah, he never let uh, Tyler Anderson, who was absolutely dealing in this game, he pitched five really good innings, six strikeouts, no runs allowed, two hits, and two walks. Like the Padres could not get anything going off of him. His pitch count was low. It was um, 86. Okay, so not super low, but he definitely, I'm sure if you asked him, he would say, I have another inning in me for sure. Why wouldn't you let him keep going and get more outs? And also, Przinsky made the good point of when you're asking your bullpen to get pitch four innings a game or get 12 outs a game, that adds up over time, and you need everyone in your bullpen to be um, on their A game. But you're going to have it that there are guys who aren't on their A game. And that happened tonight with uh, Canely and Vessia, sort of. Especially, I mean, Canely just didn't look good. I mean, I could tell right away something was off with him when he came out there. But yeah, those guys weren't on their A, a game, and they blew, and they lost the game. And also, just usage over the series or over the playoffs it gets tiring taxing on that bullpen when you're pitching all those high stress innings and you're constantly having to go out there. I mean, looking at the Dodgers series stats, I mean, Almonte pitched all pitched three games. Canley pitched three games. Phillips pitched three games. Vesia pitched three games. Gratterall pitched two games and Martin pitched two games. One, two, three, four, five, six. They had, and then uh, they had Heaney and trying and both make relief appearances as well. So you're using all eight of your bullpen guys. I will give you that, but you're using all those guys. If you played out over a season, they're not going to get used more than twice in a span of four games about because usually really relievers these days never pitch more than half 80 games a year or half the games. So you're using Almonte, Canely, Phillips, Vesia all more than they've been more frequently than they've been used this year. Also, keep in mind, not not a lot of these guys pitched full seasons. Canley was hurt for most of the year, and Almonte was only up for half the year. So you're using all of them more than they're used to. You're using Vessi and Gratterall at a pretty high rate, too, and Chris Martin as well. I mean, it just it gets tiring on this bullpen, and I think that when you have a great rotation like the Dodgers have, they have Orias and Kershaw and Gonsolin and Anderson, now, some of those names like Anderson and Gonsolin aren't like household names, but they've been really good this year. So I think you should have played more into your strength as a uh, your strengths as a team with your starting rotation. It's definitely something an advantage that you have. Anyway, um, I found a fun little uh, stat here. The pod, the Dodgers are one of 
seven teams to win 110 or more games in MLB history. Um, the other teams that did that, 1906, the Cubs lost the World Series. 1909, the Pirates won the World Series. 1927, the Yankees won the World Series. And 1954, the Guardians lost the World Series. Now, all those teams played back when you won the pennant and you were in the World Series. So, I guess, um, you know, who knows how they would have done in an expanded playoff. So, I will give them that. But still, yeah, um, disappointing. You know, half of those teams won, won it all. Half of those teams were disappointed. 1998, Yankees playing in a full playoff, uh, three-round playoff. They won the World Series. 2001, the Mariners set the what used to be the standard in choking in the playoffs after an amazing season. And they lost, after winning 116 games, they lost in the ALCS, which was super disappointing. Now, winning 111 games is five less than 116, obviously, whatever, but not only playing in one series and not winning it and not even taking it to the full five games, getting being in four by a team that is clearly an underdog is very, um, very disappointing to say the least. So the Padres or the Dodgers have a lot of soul searching to do um, this off season. Is Roberts the right guy to lead this team? He can lead them to win in the regular season, but can he really be trusted to handle these uh, game time management decisions? And I think in the playoffs, he just hasn't been the guy. I hate to say it, but I just think he hasn't. So yeah, this really stings, but man, on the other end of this, the Padres, I mean, Peco Park was absolutely crazy. The postseason, the postgame celebration was incredible. I saw videos on my feed on socials all about, um, Will Myers going and buying everyone drinks at the bars in San Diego and just running around having a great old time and the fans just loving it. It was, um, it was, um, <laughs> really fun to watch. Also, now going back to the negative side for the Dodgers, I'd like to set the record here, record straight here too. I'd like to say this. Everyone probably, most of you probably know about the Roberts, uh, preseason prediction on the Dan Patrick show where he Patrick asked him so Dave the so tell me the Dodgers will win the World Series if and if I was a manager how to answer that question would be if we stick if we stick to playing Dodger baseball and uh stay true to ourselves and uh I don't know insert something about being being a cohesive team we no one can beat us, something like that. I I I want to be confident, but Robert's statement of we will win the World Series if there is a season and a playoff. I'm not quoting him direct exactly here, but put on the record, we are winning the World Series in 2022. It comes across as a little, very very confident, maybe a little too confident, but I like the confidence. I mean, you shouldn't go up there and be like, well, I don't know if we can. You could have phrased it a little better than just as long as we play a season we'll win it comes across a little arrogant so but i don't have a problem with the quote of itself it looks really bad in hindsight but i mean what else was the guy supposed to say it's not a terrible answer what is a terrible take is this uh piece from the la times which and i quote if there ever was a case for canceling the playoffs and awarding a championship because one team was so clearly better than all the others our 2022 Los Angeles Dodgers would be it for the love of St. Vincent Scully. Oh my goodness. 
they won 22 more games than the second place team in their division, which just isn't done. It doesn't matter. Whoever wrote this, I'm not sure who, I, I'm not exactly sure who wrote this. I'd have to look it up. I couldn't find I couldn't find it. I think it was a guy named Plashke. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the LA Times very much. You play the playoffs because you have no idea what's going to happen. As you clearly have seen this weekend, LA Times, anything can happen. The favorite team can get completely blown out of the water by their little brother down um, I-5. Or the defending champions can get their teeth punched out by a team from Philly that hasn't made the playoffs in 10 years and everyone was expecting them to be all awestruck and nervous in their first big playoff series. And they just completely dom- they've dominated two so far and taken out two very good teams. The whole point of this is you have no idea what's going to happen in October. Everything in the regular season is off the table. All that matters now is all that the only way that the regular season matters at this point is it just determines your seating and your home field advantage, but that's it. So, geez, my goodness, that is such a bad take. And just the condescending L.A. elitist arrogance as a middle American, I absolutely hate this. But, yeah, that's my very long-winded take on all this. What a dramatic, fun series, though. And, wow, just like that, the Phillies are up to a 2-0 lead. What just happened? Uh Schwarber finally hit his first postseason home run. There you go, Schwarber. Anyway, um, Padres MVP. On the offensive side of the ball, I got to give it to Jake Cronenworth. Grisham had the the talk has been all about Grisham, and Grisham had a solid uh, DS, maybe not as good as his wildcard series, but he definitely contributed. But Cronenworth was there. He got the insurance home run in game two, the game-winning hit in game four. He single-handedly almost six per, added almost six percent of championship win probability to uh, for the Padres by his offensive performance. He had four thirty-eight, five home runs, which led the led the team. Hit a homer, uh, just yeah, getting on base a ton. And then the pitching MVP um, going with the reliever here, and it's not Josh Hader; it's actually Robert Suarez because Suarez in Game Six, Darvish didn't. No wait. Game two, sorry, not game six. What am I talking about? Game two, Darvish kind of left him in a sticky situation in the sixth, and he got out of it, and then he got himself in trouble again in the seventh, and he got out of it. So he pitched two very high-stress innings and also shut down the Dodgers in game four in the eighth after the magical seventh inning. He came out and got three outs really quickly, which is what they needed to kind of let the – to kind of not finish the job, but further cement like we are winning this game, we're locking it down. And overall, yeah, three, three games, four innings, three strikeouts, three hits, a walk. Maybe not as dominant as Hater, but definitely some of the most clutch relief pitching I've seen in this postseason. So Robert Suarez gets the pitching MVP for the San Diego Padres. All right, we're going a little long here, but um, I don't want to um, kind of skimp on anything. There's so much to talk about, and yeah, um. Let me get into really quick. I'm I won't I'm not gonna overhash this uh, my predictions. So just looking at the two rosters and comparing them position by position, uh, um going through this pretty quickly. Uh Philadelphia definitely has the advantage at catcher. Nola's had a great postseason, but JT Rumuto is one of the best catchers in baseball, and he's had a good postseason as well. 
Um, so definitely advantage there for Philly. Advantage also for Philly at first base. I think that Hoskins is a better hitter right now than Will Myers or Brandon Drury, whatever combination of that is. And while his defense is pretty ugly, I think overall he's a little more of an impact player, so slight advantage for Philly there. A pretty significant advantage at second base for the Padres. I like Segura a lot, but Cronenworth, while the average isn't quite as good as Segura, he has more power and he gets on base at about the same rate because he walks a lot. Defense, I think, is slightly in his favor, too. Shortstop, Bryson Stott's been a fun young player, but I really like Hassam Kim. He's really stepped up and replaced Tatis very well. Uh, third base, definitely May Machado. I mean, Alec Bohm has had a fine season, but Machado is just one of the best players in baseball, so you can't really do much there. Left field, uh, Kyle Schwarber, not great with the glove or the average, but huge power threat, and he just got his first home run tonight, so I think things are... He's going to start to get going, and when he does, he's dangerous. Jerickson Profar has been solid in left, too, but just not quite the same offensive threat that Schwarber is. Uh, center field, uh, Trent Grisham, I think, given even though he's had a rough offensive year, his defense is still very solid, and that that's what warranted him staying in the lineup. And he also seems to have found his stroke in the playoffs. And while Brandon Marsh has had some played well down the stretch for Philly, I think that Grisham just is the better overall center fielder especially now that he, his bat seems to have gone right. Right field, <clears throat> excuse me, you have uh, Juan Soto and Nick Castellanos. Um, definitely Soto here. But both of these players, it's interesting because both of them have not had great seasons, and there's a lot of um, unmet potential for them this year. So both of them, Castellanos and Soto, they both could get hot and become huge difference makers. That could be huge for their team, their teams. Uh, DH, definitely Bryce Harper. I mean, Josh Bell is just really struggled since coming to San Diego, and Bryce Harper is clearly the Phillies' best hitter. So, yeah, definitely right here. And then starting pitching, I'm actually going – this has been actually pretty tight, but I'm going with the Padres here. Now, here's why. So, Darvish and Musgrove versus Nolan Wheeler are very comparable as the one-two punch. It's the number three that I think the, gives the Padres a slight edge. On paper, Snell and Suarez are pretty similar. However, I think Snell has a slight advantage given that he has played on postseason in high leverage postseason games before. He went to the World Series with Tampa in 2020. He is definitely no stranger to the playoffs. And while Suarez has not looked phased by the playoffs so far, he just doesn't have the same track record in these high-pressure October games that Snell has. So I think that Snell has the slight edge here. He pitched really well against the Dodgers, and I think uh, he gives the Padres the slightly better uh, top three punch in the rotation. Excuse me. And then uh, bullpen. Philly's bullpen has definitely been not a liability for them this October. It's been pretty solid. But the Padres' bullpen has been lights out. And just when you have Josh Hader and Robert Suarez, especially now that Hader seems to have gone back on track, actually not seems to, he has. He's looked incredible. Um, yeah, Padres definitely have a great bullpen. I do think this series is going to be really close, though, even though the Padres might have the more advantages on paper. I'm predicting Padres in seven, which looks like now that the Phillies have a 2-0 lead, seems pretty likely that this series will go to seven games. The Padres are going to have to dig themselves out a little bit, but we'll see what happens. All right, moving on to the American League. The um, 
I don't want to say less fun. It's just more that we've seen this already. We've seen the Yankees and the Astros play each other in the ALCS twice now, and this is time number three. But it's still going to be some fun baseball. Uh, We'll talk about the Astros first. They swept the Mariners. It definitely wasn't an easy sweep by any stretch of the imagination. They needed a walk-off in Game 1, another late rally in Game 2. They only won that game by two runs, and then they had to play 18 innings before Jeremy Pena finally hit a home run, the only run of the game. They played 17 scoreless innings against each other. Pena hits the home run, and they finally close it out for the win. So, (laughs) yeah, um... Definitely wasn't an easy sweep by any stretch of the imagination, but the Astros look really solid as always. Their offensive MVP, of course, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, the man added 11.81% to their championship win probability by just based on his performance over three games. It was really based off of two hits, the walk-off home run in game one and the go-ahead home run in game two. He drove in seven runs, hit 267, which isn't, amazing but no one was none of the Astros people were hitting for average but they got clutch hits when they needed it and he drove in seven runs so that was pretty much single-handedly the difference there or half of the Astros total runs um pitching MVP I'm actually giving it uh, going a little unconventionally here I'm giving it to Luis Garcia Garcia who pitched five innings to close out the 18 inning marathon he gave up only two hits over that span struck out six so he did not let the Mariners get any sort of rally to try to walk it off and this is huge because without his amazing pitching, the Astros would probably have had to play a fourth game at least, or maybe even a fifth game, and the series would have dragged on for a long time after playing that 18-inning marathon. So their bullpen could have been really decimated by all this. But he kept them; it, he kept the game tied, prevented the Mariners from walking it off, and then closed it out once Pena hit the home run. So I think that, that performance was really huge because it helped um, – it's helped the Astros rest their bullpen for a couple of days. They'll be able to come out with all hands on deck in game one against the Yankees, who just played their last game today. So they're not the freshest per se. So, and the Yankees really had to fight for their win in the ALDS. Uh, the Yankees, of course, um, not thrilled that they beat the Guardians, but um, here we are. Um, their offensive MVP, funny enough, is not. Aaron Judge or Gleyber Torres or Anthony Rizzo or anyone else you might expect. You, it's uh, their trade deadline acquisition, Harrison Bader, because Bader hit 267, which is respectable, but he hit three home runs. And if, it felt like that every time he, he, he hit a home run whenever the Yankees needed to get some runs on the board. Just very opportune timing. Um, yeah, I don't. you can't argue with hitting three home runs in five games. I mean, he outslugged Judge. He had the best OPS of any Yankee uh, period this series. So, yeah, Harrison Bader really got done for the Yankees on the offensive side of the ball. And then pitching. Um, There's a, you know, the Yankees, their bullpen definitely choked it in game three. That was not uh, fun to watch. If you're a Yankees fan, for me, it was fun because I don't like the Yankees, as you may or you may be shocked to know. But uh, overall, I gotta say, Clay Holmes looked really good this uh, po- this postseason so far. But I actually have to give the MVP to Garrett Cole. Cole pitched two started two games this uh, divisional series. He pitched thirteen and a third innings, 
Uh, he only gave up three runs and he struck out 16 in that span. That's good for a 2.03 ERA. He had a whip of 0.9 and his performance in game four was especially clutch. When the Yankees were facing elimination, especially after a gut wrenching loss in game three, he did. I'll give props to him. He really stepped up and uh, pitched amazingly. <clears throat> amazingly seven innings, only two runs. Eight strikeouts, six hits, one walk. He just completely shut the door on the Guardians and brought the series back to New York, and they were able to win it. So yeah, Garrett Cole and Harrison Bader are your um, are your Yankee MVPs. One's pro- one very probable, one improbable. All right, um, we'll dive right into the prediction here for the American League. Uh, looking at the positional by position breakdown. Uh, for catcher, I think that the Yankees have a slight advantage. I think the tandem of Trevino and Higashioka offers not great offensive potential, but definitely some pop and some clutch hitting. Uh, they're at least both competent with the bat. Vasquez hasn't looked great with the bat since he came to Houston, and Martin Malnado is purely a defensive catcher at this point. And I think, yeah, that gives them the slight edge uh, at the catching position. First base, Yuli Gurriel is definitely um, not what he used to be, so Anthony Rizzo is the clear, uh, better uh, player here. So, yeah, the Yankees definitely have a huge advantage at first base. Rizzo also, you know, has a World Series ring under on his resume, so he's been in these kinds of situations before. I mean, Gurriel has two. So, yeah, these are two grizzled vets but I think who, who have seen a lot, but I think that, yeah, Rizzo is playing just as good as he usually does. Second base, despite Glaber Torres being a force to be reckoned with, Jose Altuve is just, he's been really good. And uh, as always, and he's no stranger to the postseason, and he will continue to do Jose Altuve things this October. Shortstop, Jeremy Pena has had some ups and downs this rookie, his rookie year, but that huge clutch home run in game three of the ALDS is really big for him, and he is definitely way better than any combination of whoever the Yankees decide to throw out there at short on any given day, whether it's IKF or Cabrera or whoever else. And then at third base, Josh Donaldson has really not looked good all year. And Alex Bregman, after a very slow start, has really gone hot at the end of the season at just the right time. And yeah, definitely, I think the better third baseman. Uh, Donaldson just, he's definitely showing some signs of age at this point. Left field. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, no question, uh, and especially compared to, again, who's playing left field for the Yankees. Is it Aaron Hicks? Is it Cabrera? I don't know. Center field, uh, Harrison Bader's, like I said, has really uh, solidified the center field spot this October. The race don't, or the Astros don't have a set center fielder. I mean, Chas McCormick's been kind of their main guy recently, but they kind of throw a bunch of different people out there. Uh, I think Dubon plays some center. They have uh, Jacob Myers on the roster too, so it's kind of a revolving door. And at right field, just like for left, it was no question for the Astros. For the right field, it's no question that the Yankees are the better right fielder because they have Aaron Judge. No disrespect to Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker is very good, but Aaron Judge is the best offensive player in baseball right now. That's all I got to say. And then at DH, um, DH, I feel like it's been, for the Astros, it's been kind of a Mancini. I think that Giancarlo Stan, just because he's such a power threat and how Mancini's definitely been kind of cold recently, I think that Stan is just a slight tick above him. 
right now, especially when all these home runs make a huge difference. Uh, let's see. Starting pitching, it's the Astros. The Yankees have a gr- scary, intimidating rotation, of course, but I think the Astros is even better. Uh, every pitcher that they threw out there, with the exception of Justin Verlander, funny enough, pitched really well against the Mariners. Um, besides Justin Verlander, by the way, in the ALDS, if you take out Justin Verlander's four innings pitch where he gave up six earned runs, the rest of the Astros pitching staff combined had an ERA of 0.85. That's something. That shows how deep they are. When their ace is not right and he has a bad start, the bullpen and the other stars just pick up the slack for him. And I think that if the Yankees come out and if Cortez or Cole or Severino gets hit really hard, they're... um, they don't have the depth to replace that. And same with the bullpen. The Yankees bullpen has some great arms, but it's been you can question the usage a little bit. It seems like they haven't been utilized in the best way all the time. But the Astros bullpen highlighted by the likes of Ryan Presley and uh, Brian Abreu and Rafael Montero and Hunter Brown. Hunter Browns look really good. And uh, Ryan Stanek, I mean you got a very formidable unit there and it's very deep, like I said, and yeah. Um, and Dusty Baker knows how to use it where I feel like Aaron Boone definitely is on spiral of confidence in how he uses his bullpen. So my pick here for this series is I think that while it is going to be very close, I do think Houston's going to win this series in six. I think it'll be fun to watch, but I think once again, Houston's going to get the better of the Yankees and Ryan Cashman will just have to complain more about how they stole 2017 from them and ignore why they didn't win in 2022. Sorry, Yankees fans. That was a little personal, but yeah, I just, I think the, the Astros just clearly the better team and they played way better than the Yankees did when they played each other in the regular season. So yeah, there's our um, postseason, uh, my postseason predictions. For these next two rounds, I think that we are going to be seeing a Padres-Astros World Series, which is very, very interesting. Uh, you definitely predict the... Either way, most people, lots of people will be right about who's going to win the American League pennant because I think these were the two favorite teams from the start. But these other two teams in the National League have really kind of come out of nowhere, but it's fun. Uh, both series will be fun. You've got the... Uh, like I said, you've got the the growing... the growing ever ever uh, exciting rivalry between the Astros and the Yankees in the playoffs facing off for the pennant. And then you've got these two new teams uh, who are very bright eyed and excited to be uh, making such a deep run. Their fan bases are both hungry for uh, more success. That's the Padres and the Phillies. And yeah, it's going to be a good time to watch watch all this and see how things go down. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Thank you once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find this podcast, as always, on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple, and many other podcasting platforms. Make sure you give it a five-star review or follow it or do whatever you got to do to make sure it shows up in your feed. Keep your ears peeled for another episode. I will talk to you all again soon. Go Astros and Padres.